Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C podcast coming to you from O3C Games. We are Jonathan Dunn, that's me, I'm over here, and over there is Chris Dow. That's me, and I'm over here. Oh, he absolutely bloody is, and we're talking about bloody video, bloody games. Bloody hell. Announcement! Announcement! Here's a trade offer for you. You give us a minimum of just £4 a month via patreon.com slash O3C games, and we give you bonus episodes, deleted scenes, uncut video versions of all season five episodes, and access to our exclusive Discord server. It's that easy. Or an alternative trade, you give us a review or rating on a podcast platform of your choosing. We won't even specify, and we will give you the digital equivalent of a big sloppy kiss of gratitude. Either way, we're all bloody winning. So we're back. It's uh, it's another play date episode. Uh, oh, I know, I know. I mean, last week felt like a play date because we just loved playing those games, didn't we? Yeah, we loved we those did. rice pudding games, as they have now come to be known. But this week we are resuming our coverage of season one of the play date, and we're going to be talking about Executive Golf DX and Questy Chess. Questy Chess, the chess simulator. <laughs> We're going to be talking about that a little later on, and I'm looking forward to getting into that because I think those are two interesting games to talk about. But first... What are you buying? What are you playing? You know what? I'll go first. I'll go Go first because I finished Metroid Prime 2. Naturally. (laughs) I'll start by covering the positives because it is a good game, and I I, I don't know how I'd feel about it if I'd played it without playing Metroid Prime 1 first because a lot of the criticisms I have of the game are to do with it not being able to find ways to iterate upon certain elements of the first game, which means they either feel subpar, stale, or just downright pointless. But the positives. Boss fights, absolutely outstanding. A generational best for the GameCube era. Phenomenal design and mechanics. It's easy to cite Quadraxis as one of the all-time best boss fights. And I think I even talked about that when we did our boss special bonus episode for the Patreon. you may have. It, yeah. The name certainly rings a bell, and I've not played it, so I'm basing it only on that. Yeah. I mean, it is so, so good. Three phases, making use of all of your abilities, being screen-fillingly massive, incredibly coolly designed, and it feels insurmountable for the entire fight. It's brilliant. It rivals Nightmare in uh, Metroid Fusion for the... All-time best Metroid boss, I think. Something that they've done a bit differently in this game is the boss fights for the abilities that you get. Like In the first Metroid Prime game, the bosses guarding these upgrades weren't really related to what you get for beating them. But in this, they're even specifically named like the Grapple Guardian or the Bomb Guardian. And the boss will be using those mechanics against you, showing you what you stand to win by beating them and feeling underpowered every time trying to fight them without having that ability as well. It's a clever concept. And I think some people wrote these off as a bit gimmicky, which uh, I I can understand, but I really love them, especially the Spider Guardian, which is for entirely in morphable form across several separate 2D puzzle areas. It's very, very cool. And, and getting the Spider Ball ability then on the other side, it feels like a huge reward because the Morph Ball itself is a brilliant example of making a great 2D mechanic work in 3D. And it feels like they've made infinitely more use out of it in this game, just to show you more of that mechanic's potential. 
there are so many huge areas that you need to just like fling and shoot and boost your way around these stages as a little ball and it's just superb but as successful as they've been in translating that mechanic to 3d they've been unsuccessful making samus's trademark spin attack or screw attack work which has been added in in metro prime 2 in the 2D Metroid games, the spin attack basically works almost like an infinite version of your double jump. So you can just continually jump, usually having to sort of adhere to a little bit of a rhythm, and you're attacking all the while. It's super, super powerful. It's very much an end game sort of thing. Yeah. And that works really quite nice and easily on a 2D plane because you're just jumping up and down. You've just got those two axes that, you know, that that unlocks. Whereas in 3D, it doesn't really work, but they've they've probably done their best with it because you basically, you can't move left and right when you go into a screw attack. You jump out of first person mode into third person mode while you're doing it, but then you're absolutely locked on a plane of trajectory. So if you get your aim off, you just veer off into nothingness, which feels yeah. really annoying when you're used to being able to move around so fluidly in 3D. But also there's a strange sort of height element to it as well because you basically only travel in like a, a straight line there's no verticality to it at all which means again if like you get the repetitive jumps at the wrong type of rhythm you can just slam into a wall and then fall into nothingness <laughs> or it feels like it doesn't fit in this game at all like there's a couple of wall jump sections that's fine that could have easily just been done as a wall jump or as a grapple beam. Instead, yes. it's a real swing and a miss as far as I'm concerned in this game. It's a shame because like I said, it feels like the ultimate sort of power up that you get at the end of like a 2D Metroid game when then all of a sudden you're just tearing through stages, just like an absolute whirling dervish of power and pain. <laughs> but it's not that here. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I don't know whether or not it, it just simply is a mechanic that doesn't work in 3D or whether or not they just needed to rethink it. I don't know whether or not the mechanic is in Metroid Prime 3 if it returns in that and if, if so if they've done anything different i don't know so as you can tell we've veered into the negatives of the game so i'm just going to double down on that and tell you the things that <laughs> i didn't like the game uh, the game's fine the, <laughs> the game is fine last week i told you about the really good and rewarding end section of metro prime one where you have to go and round up all of the chozo artifacts before you go down into the final area there's basically an identical thing at the end of this game but it just feels really tacked on because the things you're trying to find are basically just invisible and hidden in plain sight. Love it. You just need to follow a clue that you get to the right location and then you flick your dark visor on and you can see it there. And apparently from what I've actually read, it was just tacked on at the end because they wanted a way to get you to go back through areas and pick up stuff you may have missed first time round. But it, it just wasn't anywhere near as enjoyable to do as it is in most Metroid games. Even though, you know, you do finally end up getting a suit that keeps you fully protected in the dark world. But making things invisible just feels lazy to me. Yeah. And, and and I think that also feeds into my main criticism of Metro Prime 2, which are the different visors that you get, which were such an important part of the first game. But they're just a bit, well, they're a piece of wank. <laughs> they, they exist purely to just show you invisible things. Yeah. Which it's not too dissimilar to the first Metro Prime game with the X-ray visor, which I felt was more of just a cool graphical add-on than it was properly functional. The thermal visor that you get in Metro Prime 1, it, it sort of worked a little bit like that, but it also had so many good practical uses because of the sections that you play in Total Darkness, tracking certain parts of certain enemies or being able to see and track enemies through their camouflage. 
But in Metroid Prime 2, you get what's called the dark visor, which may as well just be the thermal visor because it just casts everything into a, a different spectrum and shows you certain invisible things like enemies yeah. and buttons. And it's just a bit unsatisfying to use because more often than not, I'll be... It, well, it'll be when I've got stuck somewhere and then I'm like, oh, I should probably check out the dark visor. And then I realize I missed like an invisible platform several rooms back and it just feels cheap. Like I need to properly scour every space I'm in with every visor just in case they've made something invisible in the space. And it just feels <laughs> exploration feel like more of a chore. Yeah. And for a game that's subtitled Echoes, Metro Prime 2 Echoes, the use of the Echo visor is negligible. It's got a kind of cool graphical effect, but there's just there's just no good use for it. Basically, when you switch on your Echo Visor, everything turns totally black and you see the sound waves of everything in your vicinity sort of pulsing in white. And it looks amazing. It's really cool. But its only use is just to hit switches to open doors. And you don't even need to track the sound waves themselves to do this because you get these massive, big, clear icons to things that you can interact with. So it's essentially just another show invisible stuff visor. Just put it all in one. Just put it all in one. The use of ammo in the game, I think, is also kind of poorly balanced. It makes you not want to use the beams that use ammo, especially like the final beam you get, which is called the Annihilator beam, because it uses both types of ammo. And if you unlock the upgrades to those beams, one fully charged up shot will use 30 of its ammo in addition to five of your missiles which in the case of the Annihilator Beams upgrade means you're expending 60 ammo for one shot that you might miss. <laughs> yeah. Like something I really started to miss was, I can't remember which Metroid game it was in, but basically where your beam upgrades are iterative. It was in one of the 2D Metroid games. It's possibly in several of them, actually, because you don't switch beams in those games. Your upgrades just stack on top of each other. So yeah. like it actually feels like you're getting stronger and stronger rather than just having to sort of switch between things. So your weapons will all of a sudden be like, oh, now your beam is got some cooling agent and it will freeze things, or now it can travel through walls. And because that then allows you to like blast through older areas and earlier areas and weaker enemies, like with much more ease, you've just got more of a sense of progression. Metro Prime 1 had a little bit more of that because like the beam upgrades that you got, the different beams, they did feel like they were sort of more powerful or had more use than the previous one. So by the time you unlock the fourth one, which is like the plasma beam, you're using that like as much as you can. And that's, that's quite fun. Yeah. But I think both the visors and the different beams are the mechanics which show their age the most, but not because they don't work because they do in Metro prime one. It's just, I think that that game fulfilled the potential of the idea. And I don't know how Metro Prime 3 is going to deal with those things, certainly because there's a lot less buttons on the Wii controller to accommodate for like switching between multiple beams and visors. Waggle it. Well, let's hope not. Let's hope not. But I really think that refining the formula, I think, is now key for the success of Metro Prime 3 and and potentially 4. I don't know. It's weird to not be fully up to date with this series because I literally know nothing about Metro Prime 3. And it would be good just to see, yeah, some of these ideas just sort of focused in a little bit consolidated we'll see i'm really really excited to play metro prime 3 i really really am and uh yeah i i'm gonna have to talk to minty because minty had like metro prime 2 right near the top of his list it was in his top 10 wasn't it yeah or just outside he said it's better than metro prime 1 in every way and i'm gonna need to take him to task on that because it's... <laughs> get him on let's have a fight what have you played this week chris i played one game this week 
but for a number of hours. After another few hours tinkering with Forza Horizon on the Steam Deck, I finally admitted current defeat and just installed it on my laptop. Oh, there we go. And it took overnight because <laughs> it's fucking 100 gigabytes, but I probably should have just done this initially to be perfectly honest, because yeah. the game feels and plays even better when it's running at either a stupidly high frame rate on my laptop, because I've got a 300 hertz display, oh, yeah. or at 4K, if I plug it into the TV. You know, you can adjust settings enough to get it looking fantastic. I hadn't realised, in all the time I was playing on the Steam Deck, because I was doing it in these tiny chunks, I was essentially just playing the prologue. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, meant, you're meant to be fighting through set races to unlock each season, as in spring, summer, autumn, winter. And I'd gone through all of these and just ended up sitting in snowy winter for hours, just faffing about and smashing hidden boards and doing the odd jump or task here and there and just pretty much ignoring the real contest of the whole thing. And then on one of my goes on my laptop, by accident, I think I beat a race which was enough to trigger the game beginning properly, which, you know, properly I'm doing in big inverted commas here as it was nearly 15 hours in. <laughs> but as a result, the game now runs on a real-time weekly cycle of seasons mm. with live service events dropped in perpetually. It doesn't make the game worse, but it certainly doesn't make it better, <laughs> you know, as any live service stuff for me. Or just anything in life. Like, oh, yeah. Just involving more people. Yeah, yeah, oh, completely. Never makes anything better. The frustration for me is that when I bought this edition of Horizon 4, I picked up the ultimate package or whatever it's called. And that includes pretty much all of the prior card DLC and everything else, because I didn't want to miss out on any content. And I know a game like this with, with a lot of car licenses at the click of a finger can just say, oh, we don't have Ford anymore. So that's 50% of the game gone kind of thing if you're going to buy it fresh. But loaning the game now, the first thing you see is that you're in challenge week number like 85 or some <laughs> nonsense because yeah. it's been out for years. And it's really annoying as a relative latecomer to the game to suddenly realise I've missed potentially unique events and missions for, like I said, a number of years. Mm. And I know that modern games with their kind of ludicrous development costs are marketed as almost infinite products to try and recoup some of this publisher outlay, but I'm just not a fan. You know, sometimes I'll get in at the ground floor with something like Chocobo GP and I'll feel enthused enough to try and keep up with the game's content drops. But even with that, I've played that game a lot. And yet there are loads of cosmetics and vehicle variations and God knows what else that I will now never be able to unlock because I dared to spend part of my week playing something else along the way. Yeah. And I think there's a real, I don't know the word, it feels like a selfishness to me to developers making games that actively punish you for having interest elsewhere. Because that's yeah. essentially what it's doing. It's like, for those who just play Fortnite, you can say, oh, I love games. I play Fortnite, full stop. And if you want to really keep up with it, if you want to have all the characters, if you want to get all the other nonsense that goes with it, it means that any time you sit down and go, I will now play a video game, what you're really saying is, I will now play Fortnite. Yeah. And the time you say, I will play something else, it's to the detriment of you being yeah. good or on top of Fortnite. And Forza feels a little bit like that in places. Mm. Now, with Forza, I'm trying to just enjoy it for what it is, because the single player content is still voluminous. I can't even say that word. I mean, it's overflowing. It's voluptuous. There are literally hundreds of hours worth of things to do. And I have, for what it's worth, enjoyed the connected challenges that I've played. You know, I've tried some of the online stuff. I've had a nice time playing car tag on a beach or racing against whatever mm. kind of AI controlled ones or Drivatar or whatever the shit is called when it's like the cloud-based people. But it does still rankle a bit that every week, the first thing I see is a look what you can win board of rewards, knowing that, well in just a few days it's going to transition into 
a different tense to be look what you could have won and yeah. then i don't know if you can get that again i don't know if these things come around infinitely or if it's just a case of no that that race is uh that's that's done that's done forever and that annoys me i know what you mean like it, i think it's one of the reasons why i stopped playing the game because yeah. i like i like a game that i feel like i can see my progress even yeah. if i'm not going to 100 percent it Something like Monster Hunter, for example, yeah. it's almost like a live service, the amount of stuff they yeah. roll out. But that stuff they're rolling out, they're not then taking it away. Yeah. It's stuff that goes into the game and stays into the game. It does mean that, you know, it can be a bit overwhelming to try and keep up with it, especially if you sort of duck out and get out of practice. Yeah. It's always very, very clear to see what there is to do, what you haven't done, so I can make a, a choice then about how I spend my time with the game. Yeah. The things this game and series do well are still myriad. I think it's a wonderful game. I'm having a lot of fun playing it. I think I mentioned back when you first spoke about 4 that I'd played the original Horizon to completion on the 360 with my brother Tom. And then I played a decent chunk of 2 as well when I first got an Xbox One as an attempt to justify owning the console alongside the PS4. Eventually I sold the console, I sold all the games because I realised the ratio of games I was buying ended up being, without hyperbolizing. 100 to 1 in favour of the Sony machine. Yeah. Like, I, I just didn't see a point in having the Xbox as well, so it, it went. But the team behind Forza, like Playground Games, they understand perfectly how to pitch a driving game that sits somewhere between simulation and arcade racing. And I don't think that's easy to do as well as they manage. Mm. Like Every car in the game feels tangibly different to drive because of the engine properly simulating the weight of each one, the power differentials, the suspension, all the, the boring stuff that comes with kind of knowing about cars. You can't just hold the accelerator around every corner. You need to actually read the map and read the road. But the things it chooses to kind of eschew out of Forza Motorsport, the more kind of hardcore simulation Forza, are just so intelligent. Mm. So my brain thinks I should be able to fly through trees and cobblestone walls, even at a relatively low speed. And so in game, you can, because it's like, it will be more fun if you can. So let's let's make it so. (laughs) I don't want driving on ice or snow to feel perilous and miserable. And so in game, anytime it is snowing, anytime you're in winter, all of the white stuff is treated in such a way as to feel different in terms of traction, but no less fun to bomb or drift across. You can still do 300 miles an hour across a field and it doesn't penalise you for that. (laughs) That's fine. Gotta look out for black ice. (laughs) You do, you do. Another genius level inclusion is the infinite rewind. Because in the single player stuff, if you fuck up a corner, you just rewind and try again. And when I first used this feature way back in the early games in the series, I felt it was like a crutch. And I used to try and Mm. limit myself to maybe one rollback a race. Today, 2023, I'm an older man. I do not care. I I want to have fun. And if I fuck a race lead after eight minutes of a cross country, I will not be doing it again. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. If, if I've led for that long and then suddenly I just don't see the corner, I go flying over a hill, it's like, rewind, please. And then I might miss it again. Rewind, please. I miss it a third. Rewind, please. It doesn't matter because time is money, money is time, and all that bullshit. And with the rewind, you don't have to do it again. You can just rewind that little part, replay until everything comes together properly. And it really does make it a more fun game. It's such a simple thing. But as soon as you get over that mindset where it's like, mm. no, I should be playing better. I guess it's like the Elden Ring thing, isn't it? Or the, or the From Software thing. Mm. The, the summons are there to help you. And it's a feature of the game and, and you can use them. Yeah. And as soon as you break that thing in your mind that it's like, no, I'm supposed to be playing it this way. Just yeah. enjoy what's there. Enjoy what's available. Yeah. 
simply have a good time. Yeah, you just enjoy yourself. The mad thing is, like, all of the online functionality of a game like Forza Horizon 4, I, I cannot even fathom how complicated it is to no. make and no. get running and keep running and keep balance and all of this stuff. So it does feel a little ungracious to say, <laughs> I just wish it wasn't there. Yeah, but honestly, yeah. like, I would much rather have Forza Horizon 4 and then if I wanted to, subscribe to Forza Horizon Online. Yeah. You know, like Grand Theft Auto or Red Dead, you know? I generally think both those games, if I was big into GTA V, mm. I think I would appreciate the idea that it's like, GTA V as a game is a self-contained thing. You can enjoy it, and eventually your save file could say, 100%, you're done. You've done it all. And then equally, if you want to play for five solid years with rolling content, there's mm. GTA Online. And I think that's a, a sensible way of doing it. Because it's the difference, again, like, before I got to this stage, after the prologue in, in Forza, every time you boot it up, you had a nice serene picture of you just at your house. And then you'd be like, where should we go on the map today? Where are we going to drive this afternoon? And you'd plot a course and you'd go and do a race and you'd do whatever. And now the first thing that pops up is this big emblazoned thing like, here's some races, here's some stuff to get, here's a car you probably won't be good enough to get, all this stuff at once. And yeah, I just, just want to cruise about. I still think I'll be playing this game for quite a while. And I don't want to bore people just going, Forza's a good game, isn't it? So I probably won't mention it every single week. But it is a good time. It is a good time. And whether you're playing on the Xbox or Steam or whatever, I think it's, despite all of these complaints, any reservations, it's a really good time. I like it a lot. Drive a car around Britain, have fun. Well, O3C Games, always here with the latest video gaming news. 2023's <laughs> top headline, Forza Horizon 4, good time. Good time. Metroid Prime 2, maybe not so great. <laughs> Hot off the press. Well, I mean, to be fair, the only other thing I've played this week is a remake of a 13, 14-year-old game. But it counts as new. counts as it new. It does. It does, because Dead Space Remake is a £70 game. Oh. Fucking hell. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I finished Dead Space. Of course. In a nifty 12 hours, and it was brilliant. It is Resident Evil in space, for good, and a little bit for bad, because both games start trading off exploration and atmosphere for action and shooty-shooty-bang-bang bang the further you get into the game, which is fine, because the combat and the weapons are all really fun to use. But also, it's not why I really like these games, because I like slowly exploring the map, reveling in the gorgeously grim atmosphere, picking over every corner of every room to find all the bits and bobs and soak up all of those little details, which was a wonderful thing to do in Dead Space. Every aspect of the game was just wonderful. I love the twists and turns of the story, even if they're probably a little bit more B-movie than I think they need to play things. But it makes me want to play Dead Space 2 to see how they continue the story. There's loads of fun stuff in the game as well. They don't forget that this is a game. There's even a zero-gravity basketball-type game that you find in the uh, cruise recreation room, which rewards you for getting high scores. I mean, in general, the zero-gravity stuff is really, really good, and it's such a brilliantly different way of approaching this type of gameplay. It really does sort of put it into a, a different dimension when all of a sudden you hear an enemy, you can't see it. Not only could it be in front of you, behind you, uh, to the side of you, all of those things then become very relative as you're floating around and you lose yeah. sense of what is up and what is down. And it's just, yeah, it's brilliant. There was one puzzle that I was a bit hazy on, like how to, to solve it. 
it didn't feel like it was my fault. It just felt like actually it was a bit woolly on, on specifically what you needed to do. Yeah. But it was fine. It was a little blip in an otherwise pretty flawless game. I'm not going to 100% all of the achievements. I did have a look because, well, one of them is to complete the game on impossible difficulty, which I don't know about you, doesn't feel reasonable to ask me to complete an impossible game. I mean, there are certain games that I enjoy the challenge of and certain games that I, I don't really play for that kind of thing, like Dead Space or Resident Evil. Although I think I probably played Resident Evil 4 on like the hardest difficulty originally on the GameCube. I might do that when I get the remake later this year. I don't honestly know if it's worth £70. Certainly not if you've already played the original Dead Space. Yeah. I think I've played less of it than I remembered because I played a few sessions with a mate of mine and um, I remembered a lot less than <laughs> than I thought I would. <laughs> but I had a little look and saw like what had been added and stuff like this. And there is additional stuff and and improvements that fans of the original will enjoy. And I, I definitely recommend the game. Not for you, Chris. Uh, definitely, <laughs> I don't recommend it for you. The tension... The, the easiest unrecommend ever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The uh, I mean, the tension is palpable throughout the entire game. The ship yeah. generally is just groaning and clanking, which keeps you on edge. And then, like, there's every single fan and ventilation panel you go past. You never know if something's going to bust out of no. it or not. Like... No. Honestly, most of the time, they don't, which makes it fucking worse. No. Nope. Uh, because, it, you know, everyone you pass and something doesn't jump out of somewhere that you haven't spotted. No, thank and you. And there's even things like when you get, like, comms coming in with your crew, when they chime in, it buzzes in so aggressively loudly nope. just to give you a jump. It's nope. it's kind of funny. <laughs> I don't want it, thank you. No, thank you. No. But I did, and I'm done with it. And that was good. That was good. And now I can turn my attention back to more Creepy Dead Space in Metro Prime 3, which uh, I'm looking forward to to giving a go at. That'll be my next week. Here we go. It's a play date. 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 Executive Golf DX by Chris's hero, Dave Makes. My hero. Who made <laughs> Mixolumia. <laughs> I like that game. You do. You love that game. Well, Dave Makes made Executive Golf. Chris, <laughs> what did Chris make of Executive Golf DX? Oh, right. Let's sit down for this one. I think Executive Golf DX is the first game in this playdate season that I would go as far to describe as bad. Oh, <laughs> just, no. Just bad. It's mini golf or crazy golf. It's set in muddled, clunkily designed floors of an office. Your goal is always to putt your way up a number of floors to an elevator, which you then ride to the next stage. So it sounds really simple. From that pitch, most people, I think, can probably imagine how the game is going to look and play. Like simple power and aiming mechanics, obstacles that need to be navigated, sort of writes itself is straightforward what the pitch doesn't quite capture though is how frustrating the game is to actually play Mm. each floor has a selection of office furniture strewn around and for every shot you manage to make that lands somewhere beneficial or fortuitous to your onward mission to the elevator you'll have to take 30 other shots to gradually edge your ball out from under a spinny chair or water cooler or photocopier 
at first, I played a stage or so, I genuinely believed that with a bit of practice, I'd be able to figure the game out or at least be able to approach obstacles with a more consistent strategy. But the furniture layouts and configurations are always so tightly jammed together. And this is the real problem. It's just like obstacle, obstacle, obstacle with pixels in between them, that being able to finish a stage is really an exercise in patience and attrition rather than skill, even mm. after playing it for some time. Every single stage has power-ups strewn around that make your ball maybe lighter. They might add moon gravity for a turn. They might let you stick to a surface on impact. You know, just general status tweaks that in theory should allow you to think carefully about a shot, especially when you're in a tricky spot and then navigate your way out of it. But in reality, they have close to zero efficacy, I would say, for, for accurate and useful use. If my ball is floatier, all that really means is that I may clear the table leg I'm stuck under, then bounce off a ceiling fan and then end up back where I started under the table leg. And this is the only game of all of the play that game so far that I've rage quit. You know, I'm not that type of person that would ever throw a controller or a console or anything. But as much as I, as a person who's very calm, gets angry, I definitely played a few shots where I was like, okay, we're right at the top. Here we go. I don't want to play this anymore. Good night. <laughs> and, and just switch it off. The next piece of design that makes me really quite angry <laughs> is the way that stages are structured vertically. Like on paper, mm. again, fine. But that means in each hole, you're trying to move upwards to a higher floor to make use of the elevator. Okay, I can get that. Step one is naturally to traverse and hop over a load of these aggravating office obstacles kind of horizontally. And then at the end of this, you're then tasked usually with making like a ridiculous bank shot up through a hole in the floor to the next floor, desperately hoping the ball is going to come to rest in a position that allows you to go forwards. There's been so many times when I've made it up through the gap only to get stuck under another obstacle, meaning that physically the only way I can make progress is to dribble the ball back down the hole to reorient and reattempt a larger looping shot through the hole and over again, the chair, a desk or whatever that's been giving me grief. It just feels really bad. <laughs> it feels really bad. As a final nail in the coffin, the control scheme is unnecessarily complex and tangled. Yeah. And it's often trying to give you options for both the D-pad and the crank for aiming and power and somehow manages to make both approaches feel bad and made me trip over myself and second guess myself all the time. Like, case in point, before committing to a shot, the crank lets you scroll up and down the play area. So you can sort of say, okay, well, I'm going to end up there. I want to try and get there. I know what I'm doing. When you go to take the shot, the crank now handles angle of rotation and up and down on the D-pad now scrolls the stage. I don't know why. I, I just don't know why. Like if I was designing the game or any golf game, the D-pad would always move the stage and aim left and right. And the crank would be used to gently swing back and forth to set the power and to strike the ball or something like that. You know, you can have a nice little backwards forwards motion to kind of putt back and forwards it seems that's what i was too, assuming it was going to be yeah it, it almost seems too obvious and yet this is what we've ended up with in the playdates premier golf game <laughs> yeah there's a tiny little light in the darkness like the sound design i think is really strong the music is good it's not a huge surprise when you think that you know dave makes did mix Illumia. it's a, a music puzzle game but given how little i enjoyed playing executive golf dx it made me really yearn for these tracks to be added as a musical pack for Mixolumia. It's easy to do. <laughs> you know, they put the functionality in the game. So it's right there just to say, here's the tracks. And it's a little bonus pack and it's $2 and enjoy it Mixolumia. And I would love to experience them in a significantly better title.
<laughs> I really would. My biggest frustration, I think, actually comes from this knowledge that the game is designed by someone responsible for such a meticulous and well-considered game. Yeah. Because Mixed Lumia is like knife-edge design. And I know it's unfair to typecast a developer just as it's unfair to typecast an actor or a musician or whatever. But the core of Mixed Lumia and Executive Golf are just so diametrically opposed. Mm. You know, one game's about order and grids and consistent rules. And Executive Golf is about lossy and improvised, poorly calculated collisions and bounces. It just seems impossible that they come from the same mind. You know, for one person to make something and then go, well, I've made this other thing. I, I think it's just as good because it's not. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll finish with a little story of the straw that broke the metaphorical. The central conceit of the game is that you golf up one tower block and are then launched to a second tower block to golf down. So it sort of mixes the gameplay up a little bit. Never got that far. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the first tower, you're going up these holes in the floors. The second tower, you're going down. So in maybe 45 minutes or half an hour, maybe, if I was being kind to myself, I'd climbed my way up to the executive block of Tower 1. I'd enjoyed a little cutscene of my ball being spiked through the glass ceiling of one building into the next and then started the descent down. I navigated through around whatever annoying obstacles the floor had to offer and then arrived at the elevator. So I was like, okay, here we go. We're going to get through this. In 15 strokes, I counted them, 15 strokes, I was not able to get the ball through the door as the elevator only opens when you land relatively central to the lift. And at that stage, again, I just said, fuck it, and, and closed the application. Because with all these things, like less is more, you know? The play date could house a version of Desert Golfing, officially my 94th favourite game of all time, don't you know, with ease. Yeah. And that's the type of experience that could have topped the play date season, for me at least. Yeah. Simple, low-stakes fun, analogue controls that would have mapped pretty well to the crank, near-infinite replayability but back on whichever device i was playing desert golfing on originally i played thousands of holes and never felt frustrated even when a putt may have taken me 50 attempts to sink <laughs> and yet in executive golf dx from a fresh launch i felt annoyed whilst playing the first hole <laughs> so for me it is sadly the bottom of the list so far in yeah. season one well it's top of my list <laughs> <laughs> i fucking loved it yeah no, it's um, it's really not a fun game. No, it's not a fun it's game. Such a shame. Like I said, I, I didn't actually reach that midway point where yeah. it changes from going up to going down because I was like, this game would be so much more fun if you were going down. It's not. It's, it's horrible and awkward and unsatisfying. I think golf games, like given how remarkably simple they look, uh, it's so tricky to get them right. It seems. Yeah. Well, something like desert golfing is absolutely outstanding. It's so simple, but then. A game I played recently, Cursed to Golf, the, the roguelike golf game. Yeah. It's almost really fun, but it's just a bit off. I think there's too much verticality in that. I mean, yeah. you're going down most of the time more than going up, but I think it's just not it's not fun to do that with, with a golf game. It reminded me a bit of Golf Club Wasteland. Oh, I didn't play it. Never played it. Well, well I accidentally played it twice. <laughs> <laughs> I played it on, on iPhone when it first came out, and then it was released on the switch three years later and somebody said oh this looks like a game you'd enjoy i was like oh yeah it does and i bought it and then about halfway through i was like i've been here before (laughs) it's a a nice little game it's basically the same sort of concept as desert golfing but you're going through a post-apocalyptic landscape and that game was fun when you were going left to right not fun going up and down Mm. 
it's just a real missed opportunity because it wouldn't take much tweaking to make executive golf just a bit more just a bit more fun. I genuinely think to do less would have been better. I said less is more, but it's like to take things away, there is a game in here. But it needs, you know, the controls need a bit of work, but that's that's something you can do. But it's like it's the layouts of the stages. It feels like the first draft of this game might have been like, here's a floor and a chair. So you're gonna hop over the chair. And then at some stage in development, they said, here's 30 chairs. And no one questioned it. Because again, it's a single developer. And I think that mm. is a big part of it. We've mentioned before about the idea of people playing their own games. It's very easy to think, well, I'm good at this. So everyone will be good at this. But you yeah. lose sight of kind of your own skill set. And you're approaching it from a totally different mindset and mentality because you in your head think, well, it is to be played this way because I made it this way but you don't know in the hands of the end consumer how it's actually going to be perceived and received. All right, I won't make you play Super Mario Maker again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, anyway, it's bad. How about chess? Do you like chess? Questy chess. I don't like chess. Questy chess is uh, a different matter because it is taking the concept of chess and putting it into a different box. So there's two factors to consider with uh, Questy Chess. You've got the gameplay and you've got the presentation. Firstly, how does the game work? I hear you ask. You take control of chess pieces to advance through various puzzle stages to get to an end goal, avoiding or defeating enemies, collecting items, so on, so forth. But you can only move across the grid-based stages using the move set of your chess piece, which by default is a pawn. So you can move two spaces forward as your first move, and then just one, for every turn after that. Uh, You can attack another piece if they are on the diagonal square in front of you, but you can't move freely in any direction. It is very much left to right. So once you commit to move forward in a certain direction, you're basically stuck on that line of play. There are also shifting environment tiles for you to interact with to change the course of the level with like directional changes and little conveyor belt type tiles. You can also collect items. These come in different forms from health items to recover your health if you've been in the wars with a, with another chess piece. Or you can actually get other chess pieces to use to change how you then move on the level. And you advance through different levels trying to get all the collectibles moving through a few different zones. The presentation of the game, I think, is absolutely excellent. Yeah, it's, it's got good. this conceit that you're deep inside uh, this like chess simulator. You're basically fighting to try and stop this aging chess computer from being updated but this works very very well for the play date with its stark black and white contrast almost like vector like line drawing graphics and the different elements are drawn with the precision of like ciphers and icons more than characters it's it's very very cool so it's a shame that i didn't really find it that fun to play yeah i I found it deeply frustrating to not be able to change your course of play when you're a pawn because if you fail the level or you end up hitting a dead end the level resets, which can reset quite a long way. It made me feel stuck, you know, rather than doing something intentional, like like solving the puzzle. The other thing is that to change your chess piece requires you to use an item. And there are plenty of levels that require you to play as certain pieces. So if, say, you've only got two knights in stock and you failed this level twice, you need to go and traipse back to some other level to pick up more knight items to go back and try again. And it's really annoying. Do you know what that is exactly like? Balan Wonderworld. Balan Wonderworld. Yeah. <laughs> because it's stage-based adventure, isn't it? Where success or exploration is gated by hats. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly that. It's just like Ballad, five out of ten, love it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a shame because I think the game could be really good fun because I like the concept, I like the conceit, but it seems like there are these stumbling blocks deliberately put in the game to stop you advancing through it at a fun rate. Yeah. Like, it would be great if when you completed a world as, you know, a chess piece, so say you complete the first world as a pawn, you then unlocked another chess piece to freely change with, and then you could use that chess piece on, you know, the next world, and you'd have to switch between the different chess pieces, you know, to solve the levels, and then you could go back to the previous levels and use your newer chess pieces to get all the collectibles that you might have missed. And you can actually then enjoy the game rather than just being constantly frustrated by it. Yeah. I think it's another game that it wouldn't exist outside of the play date. Not necessarily because it uses the specific hardware, because, you know, it doesn't. It could be replicated on any system. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. But it, it is another example of a proper out-of-the-box thinking. You know, it's... I'll, I'll give it that. And I don't know what the wider opinion... To be honest, I don't actually know what the wider opinion is or general consensus on any of these games are that we're reviewing on the play date. It's quite nice to do it in a total bubble like this. Yeah, you know it's objective. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't know how I feel about this one. I'm really, really in two minds. Like, I'm a big fan of the minimalist art, like you mentioned. Mm. I really like the soundtrack. It's quietly moody, it's ambient, it's droney. You can get it on Bandcamp. I've been tempted. Like, I, I like it. I think it's good. I even quite like the idea of using these recognizable game pieces, in this case, you know, the chess figures, to dictate movement. Because it almost shares some of the core design of like Zipper last week, you mm. know, because it's built around forcing you to consider movement based on very specific parameters, but it's just nowhere near as polished as Zipper. And the way the game works with its turn-based movement can feel far more frustrating, not just because you can't use the magic crank to pre-play an encounter like that game, but because like you said, the way that you are collecting fallen pieces and also the way that piece switching works because I found that in some stages I'd fail because I ended a move as a pawn, for example, found myself blocked from moving forwards with that piece, but then was not given the chance to switch to, say, the knight, which was sat in my inventory to do the little well jump round it. And that seems a really easy fix. It's like, okay, yeah. you're stationary, and now what do you want to do before you move on? You know, a lot of tactical games, a lot of strategy RPGs, that kind of thing you expend all your move points and then it won't transition to the next thing and the next move from the enemy until you say, yes, please, let's see what happens next. Yeah. And I think this could have worked quite well then because you're in a dead end. You don't want to move on because that means you fail. So you should be able to say, well, let's just quickly switch to this ready for my next move kind of thing. And that would solve a few problems. I like the way each stage is graded, like with the percentage score, because it does encourage you to kind of revisit once you've gained more pieces and therefore more movement abilities to explore. And that's quite cool. I like, you know, maxing out a meter, as it were. Yeah. But there's something, again, about the individual board designs that just don't feel as good as Zipper. And again, it's really unfair to put these games back to back, but that's how they've been presented to us. Yeah, I mean, literally. <laughs> and I think this is a game that could have been stepped up considerably with just more time in the oven. You know, if if you read anything about Zipper, about its kind of development, I think Bennett Foddy had the idea like five years ago, didn't know what to do with it, got sort of the, the nod from Playdate to say, oh, we're doing this console if you'd be interested. And then it still took a further like three years of development to get that to a stage where he went, no, this is it. This is the game. And it doesn't feel like Questy Chess had that timeline. I could be wrong, but it doesn't feel like it. No, I think it feels like we've said with some other games, it's like, oh, play day. Okay, well, let's do a chess game. Let's do a golf game. Let's do an asteroids game. 
And depending on where you take those concepts and how you sort of really challenge yourself and, and push and press the game, it's going to be successful or not, you know? Yeah. Whereas like Hyper Meteor, like I said, is just an Asteroids game for the play date, but yeah. they make sure to get the basics right. And then they push it a little bit further in the direction and you go, there you go. Brilliant. Whereas these two games this week. Do that. Yeah. I mean, no. I think there's definitely something to the idea of using chess pieces in a game like this, because they do have this kind of unique movement that is indelibly mm. etched in pretty much everyone's brains, whether you like the board game of chess or not. I hate it. Yeah. But it just doesn't, it just doesn't do it. Not a vintage play date week. The first time I think we've ended on a bit of a, a poo-poo. I think it's comfortably the worst Playdate week we've had. Yeah. Well, let's try not to leave on a bum note. Let's leave on uh, a note of prospect. And that is what games are going to be coming next on our Playdate update. In two weeks' time, we're going to be talking about Saturday Edition by Wild Rose and Star Sled by Panic. Or oh, their own game. Their own bloody game. And that is the first Panic game released. I think there's a couple in the season, but this is the first one that will have been played. So yeah, Mm. all eyes are on that. I don't know anything about either of the games whatsoever. So that's going to be really good fun. That's going to be really good fun. So please do join us in a couple of weeks' time when we talk about that. And next week, we are going to be doing our little inter- play date update update on what we've been playing so you can find out if chris has managed to claw himself away from forza if i've managed to complete 16 other games yes including metro prime 3 and uh, and, and uh, stay tuned stay tuned because uh, I'll, I'm, i may well be playing some newer games as well chris <laughs> will not <laughs> chat to us on social media at o3c games on everything go to our website o3c.games read our stuff share our stuff we'd love that and you can chat to us individually. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. See you next week. Bye.